Hello, everyone. I'm Eric Fletcher. Welcome into another episode of Chasing Better Conversations. My guest today is Julia Freeland. Julia is a speaker, an executive coach, and is the author of the book, Take Your Shoes Off First, an exploration of what can happen in a relationship when we are able to shed all that we tend to bring into any interaction. Julia describes herself as a change engineer, and that's where we pick up with her on today's episode. I really had at the core had a fascination with how people work through my own personal experiences and challenges that I faced. I got really um, very curious about how people grow, how they get through a hard time of their life and become a wiser version of themselves that can look back and say, wow, how could I have thought that way? And, you know, all the way up to what I do today as an executive coach and helping my clients believe in themselves and navigate the politics of business and the politics of locked in beliefs and kind of the, I should not say the politics, but the traps of locked in beliefs that can keep us from actually kind of like what your TED talk mentions, um, you know, this idea of the, you talked about the, the metrics that we use to measure our life and to say we can and can't do something. Well, the beliefs that we're taught when we're young, um, whether and whether we're conscious of them or not, get locked in as, a, as, a, as an underlying programming that starts determining what we believe we're capable of. And so my purpose, I think, is really to help people become aware of those and to help them break through those so that they can get a little bit further in their life than they thought maybe they could. Can you point to one or two, were there one or two conversations along the way that really sort of really began to steer you in this direction? One of the things I got curious with when I was in my moments of transition, these, these periods where you're like, I just am not happy with what I'm doing, is I looked at what are the things that people naturally came to me for? What are the ways people talk about me? As far as conversations go, it's not just one conversation, it's many conversations. And listening to those from a different perspective than just the surface level. It's looking at kind of the, the, the meta level of, of like, well, what's underlying why these people are having these conversations with me? And really, when you start getting, when I started getting curious about that, I started seeing that there was a pattern. There was a reason why people came to. And those patterns started giving me more insight as to the true strengths that I brought to the table, to the real reason or the value that I um, provided to others. And then it was just a matter of finding a connection between, well, what's the kind of job that I can do? where I'm providing that kind of value and getting paid for it. Here's one conversation I can remember that really rocked me. Um, I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years, never had any intention to be a stay-at-home mom. Uh, However, my programming early on in life was that if you have children, you should stay at home with them. And so despite me being a very career-oriented individual, 
and having children late, I ended up making this this like unconscious decision that of course I'm going to stay with them. After about 10 years of being at home with my kids, I was ready to get back into the work world, but I didn't know how. And I mostly actually after like probably six or seven years, I was really upset. I was like not happy in my life at all. And I remember um, an individual, and I don't even remember who it was, but they asked me, Julia, what are your dreams? And it was that very simple question that broke me completely. And I started crying because before having children, I had had so many dreams. And after having children and be a stay-at-home mom for so long, my life was all about my husband, who's now my ex-husband, and all about my children and their dreams. And how did I provide and serve and, you know, create, how, how was I going to be the best mom, you know, the successful mom? But some, nowhere in that picture of being a successful mom was there room for me to have dreams. And that one question and the fact that it brought me to tears made me realize, okay, something's wrong. I'm, I'm subscribing to some sort of belief that's not working for me. And I need to figure out a way to break through that. So that's probably kind of, that's, that's one of the questions or one of the conversations I can remember that was really pivotal. Let, so let's talk a little bit about uh, your book. Take Your Shoes Off First is the mm-hmm. title. Yep. And there's a spot. One of, one of the characters in your book is giving advice, as I recall. And the advice is to walk in someone else's shoes really leaves out an important step. And the important step is to first take your shoes off. And I was struck by the idea that... I've grown up hearing, yeah, walk in someone else's shoes, learn their experiences. But this idea that to do that, you first got to be willing to dispense with your own preconceived notions. And I think that's uh, that that's a critical component in good conversation. So, so much of the time, we're driven by an agenda. It may be a noble agenda, mm-hmm. but we're driven by our own agenda, which, may, which makes it difficult to listen. So talk about that character, that exchange, and just what, where this idea of take your shoes off first, where that started with you. We do talk about, we do say the phrase all the time um, to take a walk in somebody else's shoes. The problem when we do that is that if we don't go through the process of actually becoming aware of where we're coming from, and then making a conscious effort to say, okay, those are my beliefs and ideas and preconceptions about what is happening in this scenario. And I am going to carve those off and put them onto a shelf, you know, my imaginary virtual shelf and listen to this individual speak to me and think about what they're experiencing in their life um, from an open heart, from an open mind from a place with no beliefs and no judgments. If you can't do that, you're not going to be effective at trying to understand where the individual is coming from. There might be a lot behind the individual's actions that you cannot see and that they might not share with you. But 
the more you can shed your own shoes, these, not just your biases, but your experiences, your beliefs, where you came from, um, the more you can shed that, the better able you are going to be listening, hearing, and understanding what it is an individual is saying. And there were a couple of experiences I had that really rocked my world. They happened very similar, like at similar times for me, because I was, um, as I said, I had some pretty life altering experiences myself in my, in my life that have brought me to my knees and made me really reevaluate the way I move through life. And one of them was getting divorced and going from a, an extremely poisonous, uh, horrible marriage to a collaborative divorce was a journey to get there. It was a lot of forgiveness, a lot of perspective taking, a lot of putting my ego and putting my anger to the side and acknowledging that I don't see everything clearly, that I'm just seeing things from my perspective. And when I'm angry, I really don't see everything clearly. So there's a practice, if you're familiar with John Gottman's work, um, John and Julie Gottman here in Seattle, they're uh, researchers that study relationships. And there's a practice that they have called the empathy game. And I decided I was going to try this once with my ex when in the, like near the end of our divorce and we were laying in bed together, silent, very, very quiet. And it was dark. And I, I took a moment. I knew we were both awake and I took a moment. I was like, I'm going to try this empathy thing. And I intentionally took a moment to, shed my beliefs, you know, of every, like the therapist all saying it's his problem, the friends all saying it's his problem. Like, you know, let's just shed all that. Let's just imagine, yeah. imagine I'm his best friend and that he can do no wrong. And so that how would I listen to him if he could do no wrong and he who's my best friend and I, I loved him dearly and thought that everything he did was right. How do I listen to him from that perspective? And, and then I asked him a question and suddenly I was able to see how he had experienced the last several years from his perspective. And I, and it was, it was, you know, he was mad at me. So he was saying bad things about me, but because I was in the perspective of being his best friend. I was not in the perspective of being me, Julia, his wife. I was able to see the pain. I was able to see his hurt and able to see how he could have seen my actions in a way that was, you know, actions I would have told you were kind and helpful, but he would have seen them as hurtful and punishing. And that was this, it was a very, it was a glimmer. It was a moment that I was like, okay, what was that I just experienced? And I have to say that because of habits and the rituals and the anger, all the stuff, like the moment passed, it, it came and it went and it was gone like yeah. the next day. Because what I have learned from this, it takes practice. 
this idea of taking your shoes off first, of being willing to take all your beliefs that, you know, we do things because we believe we're right. We don't do things because we believe we're wrong. We, but we believe we're right. And we are, as we, we were talking earlier, like we, humans want to survive. And so we do things to be right, to survive, to be successful, to keep going. So it's really difficult to take our actions and our beliefs and put them to the side and think, okay, I'm not going to let those ideas influence how I'm listening to this individual. It's very, it takes intense practice to be able to listen to somebody say that they think your actions are wrong and yet be able to not trigger, not defend, not, not want to defend it, but to actually really consider how is it that it could be wrong? How is it that my beliefs could be wrong? And because when you can do that, that's when you can actually see the world from another person's perspective. And that will help you be able to find that bridge between the two of you better. This business of taking your shoes off first, of, of, uh, of doing more than just trying to walk in someone else's uh, steps, it, it often, it may require us to put ourselves in a uncomfortable, maybe even an unfavorable introspective uh, position. and. I was going to ask you about that, how you square that with this, this part of your coaching that is about having confidence, feeling good about yourself. Uh, but I think you just explained it beautifully. Number one, you have to feel pretty good about yourself to be able to do that. Yes, 100%. You hit the nail on the head. And yeah. that um, I, I don't ask people to do this exercise lightly for the same reason I was able to you know, see it for a moment and then it closed back down. Um, because in order to keep that window open so that you can really see another and keep it in perspective along with your own beliefs, there, there needs to be this balance within you where you're not in a fight or flight space. Because I mean, I, I'm, you're probably familiar with the research that like we see what we're looking for. Oh, Again, yeah. I'll talk about John Gottman's work too, especially because he, he is very much about um, conversations, but it's conversations within the context of relationships. If you, he will put people up into um, a, a home environment right here in Seattle, he'll put couples in and he talks to them beforehand and then he has them live in this space. There's a living room where researchers can track and look at, at their conversations, but they don't feel like anybody is necessarily paying attention. And if the individuals are coming in with a bad, um, in a bad headspace about their relationship, then they will walk out of the experience of being there for a couple of days and they will tell you that more negative, more negative interactions happened than really happened. And they will see less positive interactions than really happened. Because our minds see what we're looking for. We, especially when we're in a fight or flight mode, we only look for those dangers and the, the, the way that somebody might be taking a punch at us. And we struggle to see the way somebody might be extending an olive branch or trying to do something kind and trying to rebuild. 
um, and that's why uh, one of the things I say with with um, couples all the time is that, and, and just not just couples, sorry, just individuals that are in relationship. When you're in a downward cycle and you both are just looking for the bad things, it can often take way more time than you imagine to have one person kind of take the higher road and continue to do kind things and not react to the bad things. And I, I think of it as like this downward spiral of, you know, in the Top Gun and the Maverick movie, like the the two the two planes in a downward spiral and like who's gonna pull up? Yeah. Who's gonna pull up? Well, the thing is that eventually somebody has to pull up, but it's not just an instant thing. Somebody pulls up and they have to keep on pulling up while the other person is downward spiraling continually. And they have to keep pulling up, keep pulling up, and the downward spiral is still going until eventually, because the downward spiral person is not really paying attention for the good things, it takes them a long time to see, whoa, my this other partner I'm in person I'm in conflict, he's way up there, or she's way up there, and I'm still down here. And then unfortunately what happens often is that right at the time when the other individuals in the downward spiral shifts to go up. Often the person in the upward spiral, it goes, this is ridiculous. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. The other person isn't putting any effort or work into this. And they start downward spiraling again. And so that's why you can get people into these, these bad habits of feeling like they're investing a lot of effort and time and energy. But they, they don't, um, they feel like they don't see the results. It's because we want it faster. So all of that is just to say that if you, your in, as yourself, individual, haven't done the work yourself to find a place where you're at calm, where you're calm and at peace with who you are, you can accept the weaknesses, you can accept the strengths, you know that you are just one damn fine human. If you can't be in that space where you're just in balance, no matter what's happening outside, it's extremely difficult to make this this big effort to create this empathy between the two of you where you can truly see the perspective of another the idea of this balance between self-confidence knowing who i am feeling confident in who i am uh feeling good about myself and the uh the the transition or or is, is it right to call it a transition but the act of entering into a conversation with you and dropping all of my preconceived notions and being in a position uh, that enables me to really listen. People who want to connect, I think the, the idea resonates completely. But how do we, how do we separate ourselves from this? Um, I'm right. I believe I'm in a good position. How do we take our shoes off? It sounds super easy. It requires investment in yourself and all the investment you're going to do is, is going to be good throughout your entire life. So uh, in the beginning of the book, take your shoes off first. Like there, there's actually a bit of a formula that's kind of in the book itself. Um, in the beginning, we really talk about the importance of realizing one, that when you're in this fight or flight mode, you're not seeing things clearly. So figure out how to calm yourself down and get yourself into a place where you can, calm, what I say, calm your defenses. So that is something that I will work with my clients on right off the bat. It doesn't matter what they're facing. 
we get them to a place where they're feeling optimistic and excited and curious about something else. And honestly, that curious piece is a big piece of it. Um, mm. Cultivating people's curiosity, it naturally, it naturally pulls us out of the um, fight or flight space. It naturally puts us into this open, more listening space. But a lot of people spend way too much time in their life being certain because they want to be right, because they want to be successful, rather than being curious. And so when we, one of the things I do teach is that when, whenever you feel your anxiety rising or your sense of conflict or your sense of battle kind of rising up, stop drop and roll which is like stop what you're doing drop that anger drop what you think is happening and get curious roll with curiosity and that that curiosity piece i can't emphasize that enough if if one people can learn one thing in the face of conflict like it will change your relationship overnight if in the face of conflict rather than rather than starting to defend your position you can ask a question with generous genuine curiosity about what is going on in that individual's life or what is it that they experience um so that curiosity would be one to work on for sure let's back away from situations of of conflict it's my job to be a leader it's my job to set the course it's my job to uh direct and uh, orchestrate when i am in that mode it is very difficult mm-hmm. to when when i am pretty sure i'm i'm going to be held responsible and i have to uh direct the course outside of relational conflict just the everyday how do i get along with someone how do i lead someone when we're on different pages. So I don't see a huge difference between all of these relationships or relationships, whether we're talking about your spouse or we're talking about your colleague, whether you're in conflict over like how somebody cleaned the dishes or you are in, you are not on the same page with your employees about how much time they're spending at home versus in the office. All of these, mm-hmm. it's all about coming together and bridging a gap between the way two people think. And it is extremely difficult as the leader Great when point. you are being held accountable um, for a bunch of reasons. Largely, it's like there's also a perception that as a leader, you're supposed to know. And sometimes sure. you are the person that is responsible for making the decision and making things drive forward. But if you don't have a team that's coming with you on that decision, then no matter how many decisions you make just to be efficient, you're not going to be effective because people aren't coming with you. So I think for as a leader, you have to take a moment and ask yourself, is this the time that it's important that I make a decision fast? Or is this the time that I make sure that my people are on board with me and we're all moving in the same direction? As far as an, um, a strategy that I invite people to try, I have this little exercise, like the, I call it the golden rule of change, which is this idea of if you want to see change in 
an environment or a relationship or a setup or a problem you're facing. Take a moment and imagine that the opposite of what you believe is true. And then ask yourself, <laughs> if the opposite of what you believe is true, what might what must be true then? What else, what else must be happening? Because this simple exercise will open up your mind to new possibilities. And I will speak to, you know, I will refer back to your own TED Talk. This idea that you had somebody telling you you're blind and yet you're functioning in other ways and people didn't understand, like it wasn't a typical blindness. So if you aren't blind, the opposite of what they believe is true. Like imagine if you had had a doctor that said like, okay, I believe he's, this person's blind, but if they aren't, the opposite of that is true is that they, are, they can see. So what else must be true? What else must be going on? And I think that's what the, the doctor who eventually finally helped you figure it out. Like, what else must be going on? I'm going to test this in a new way. I'm going to explore this in a new way. And when we do that, it lands us, it takes us away from that land of certainty and into that world of possibility and curiosity. And that, that world of possibility and curiosity, if you can get multiple people into there, whether you're dealing with a team or a single individual, now you're in a space of collaborating to create that bridge between two divisive ideas and you're neither one of you are standing on the edge feeling like you're getting pulled over. Uh, one conversation that you kind of bump into repeatedly maybe, or a theme that you really believe it would be good if we just stopped having that conversation. So I'm going to say, I think all conversations have the potential to be good conversations. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd say anyone is bad. However, I would put a condition on that and say that any conversation where two people or, or two groups, or there's a dichotomy where there's just a one perspective and another perspective. And no matter, I mean, this be, like I said, husband and wife, it could be Republicans, Democrats, it could be, Anything where two individuals have perspectives that they are just rock solid holding on to and trying to convince the other one to see their way, those are not productive conversations and they just shouldn't happen. It should be more about conversations related to understanding rather than seeking to understand rather than uh, to persuade. What was the germ that gave birth to the? Uh to take your shoes off first. So take your shoes off first is a parable. It's a short story um, just for people who don't know it. And it's super easy, fast read. I think you can read it in all of like 90 minutes flat. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big believer that a lot of the best learning is the learning that's done while you're enjoying it and not really knowing you're doing it. Um, I'm also a big believer in experiences. So a lot of what I build for uh, business, for leadership teams and, and different businesses is creating experiences where people are talking about one thing, but they're not really realizing that they're actually engaging and learning in another direction. So um, I'm all about finding the root level that the root level experience that will change a behavior ultimately that impacts an everyday experience. I mentioned that I had been through several earth-shattering, life-shattering experiences, and 
going through each of those, I noticed that there was a pattern to how I kept on rising to become a better, wiser version of myself that was adapted and better suited to thrive in the new environment I found myself in. That pattern of behavior, it became so clear that I started getting curious about whether or not this was just me or was this common to other people. And so I started talking to other people about their experiences of rising through extreme adversity and looking at stories that are out there in the world and um, looking at the background and the research behind post-traumatic growth and behind brain science, you know, what's happening with the brain when we're in a fight or flight mode and looking at um, entrepreneurialism and what is it that causes people to leap from a, you know, a, a, a well-worn path into one that never has been done before. And I started noticing that this pattern of behavior is common across all humanity. And so it's just human nature and the way human nature processes big transitions, big shifts in life. And we need to start teaching individuals about this, teaching our employees about this, because we're not teaching them this. And most people were really curious about what I had to say, but they got super defensive saying like, oh, no, 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 we, we know how to do change, change is our business, we're fine. And I got so frustrated. I, I'm like, I can't, I don't know how to tell people about the kind of change I'm talking about. This is not incremental change. This is change your life perspective change. And today we have a much, so that was six years ago when I first started doing that. And then today we have a much easier way of referring to that. We're talking about COVID change. We're talking about AI yeah. impact change, the kind yeah. that radically transforms the way we view what's possible in life. That's the kind of change, the kind that eliminates careers and grows brand new industries and completely wipes out like the, the gaslit lantern and the horse-drawn carriage. That's the kind of change we're talking about. So I tried to start writing a book about this kind of, this pattern that I saw and the bigger, this bigger idea of change. But Everywhere I looked, people were too ingrained, too entrenched in this idea that they see life the right way, that they see fact, that what they see is, is correct. And so I thought people aren't ready for this bigger book yet. Not everybody has, and not everybody's in the space of where you're ready to let go of your preconceived ideas or you're ready to let go of your rightness. So how do I write a book that's easy to consume, non-threatening, entertaining, and yet will get people to reflect on, oh, maybe, just maybe, I don't see the world as it is. Maybe I only see the world as I am. And for me... I thought, okay, I'm going to put the other book on hold, which I'm now back to working on. And I'm going to write this parable and I'm going to throw it out there to see, can I get the unsuspecting person to read it and have a moment of clarity of how they might be getting in their own way. And it worked. So did the parable and now I'm in this moment of going, okay, do I write another parable? Or do I, are people ready for this, this bigger book? And 
I think people might be ready for this bigger book just because of what's happening with, it's a lot easier to talk about this paradigm shifting um, type of change that requires us to get off our well-grooved well path and, and jump to a new one. Talk to us for a minute about how folks can find you, follow you, take uh, 90 seconds and do a commercial here. <laughs> I, I can be found on revolveview.com. I am an executive coach. I have workshops that I'll do. Um, I'm about helping, coming in and helping companies or their teams basically really just open up their minds to new ideas and to build deeper connections and better conversations, building trust, building inclusion. And all of that can be done when you approach it from a root level rather than surface level. If you're a leader listening to this and you think that your team is going to become growth-minded, if you think they're going to, your culture is going to become psychologically safe or resilient just because you offer a one-hour training on it, you are wrong. It starts with the individual and how they feel about themselves and how well they feel like they can show up into your organization with confidence, being able to also be humble and vulnerable without any kind of punishment there. It's a, it's a work in progress that has to start from an individual level, and then it will grow and bloom into impacting all your conversations, all your connections, all the collaboration in a much better way. You won't have to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion. Inclusion will just happen. Diversity will just happen if you end up empowering individuals to really tap into their capacity to be curious and to emerge as what I call humergence. So humans emerging into a wiser version of themselves. So that's why, that's why I call it myself I love it. a change engineer because change I engineer. think of change in a much more in an engineering way. Like how do you start with the root of hmm. what is behind helping people change? I love the term humergence. Follow Julia. Check her out at revolveyou.com and uh, check out the book too. And when this next chapter, this next book is is ready, we, we need to have another visit. Julia, thanks very much. I really do appreciate the time. I feel like, uh, I feel like we sort of are, you're a kindred spirit. Uh, the, this, this whole, what you're talking about is so central to, I think, change uh, conversations of the fabric of a culture, of a relationship. They, they are central to change and it's impossible to, to uh, engineer change if you keep having the same conversations over and over again that have gone nowhere. So, that is true. You, have to, you do have so, to create the environment so a different conversation can happen. Take, take your shoes off first. There you go. <laughs> there you, thanks again. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you, the time and inviting me on here. appreciate it. It was lovely. My big takeaway from our conversation with Julia today is that we all know we walk into any encounter with a lifetime of experiences, perspectives, and attitudes that will inevitably impact even our best efforts. This metaphor of taking my shoes off first, though far from easy, 
and requiring a lot of practice can make all the difference when it comes to instigating change and moving the ball forward in any environment. Julia, thanks for the compelling conversation. And if you appreciated what Julia brought to the table today, I invite you to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast material. It really makes a difference as others attempt to find the same kind of material. And until next time, wherever you are seeking to seed improvement or change, here's to finding a way to have better conversations along the way.